Hey, Larry, how's it going? Hello, Roman. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm ready for the holiday. Allow me to be the first to wish you a happy Thank You X Giving. Thank You X Giving. That's great. I like it. Thank You X. Thank You X Giving. Thank You X. Thank You X Giving. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm taking tomorrow off. Uh, you know, we're recording this on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so uh, tomorrow I'm gonna get busy in the kitchen. Uh, tonight, actually, I'm I'm starting. I, I got to make my uh, my cranberries. You got to make your cranberries today. Yeah, just because I I can make them early. You know, they can go uh, in the fridge and and, yeah, and yeah. wait. But uh, at this point, I have uh, command performance every year. I have to make. Well, we don't call them cranberries. We call them crunkberries. Why? <laughs> well, it's just the recipe is uh, cranberries uh, with sugar, and you put them in the oven until they kind of burst and get all juicy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you put that in a bowl, mm -hmm. and then you pour in a bunch of brandy. Mm -hmm. The end. I like, I like where this is going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's all there is to it. <laughs> so that's why they're crunkberries. Crunkberries. Mm, I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things I made uh, a recipe I, I'd gotten um, in, uh, from a family friend and I tried it out and I brought it to Thanksgiving and everybody loved it. And so now that's the thing I have to do. That's the thing you have to do. Mm -hmm. I also have a thing that I have to do. Well, hopefully it's something quick and easy like crunk berries. Uh, it's not quick. It's not easy, but it does involve at least two kinds of alcohol, so that's okay. <laughs> nice. What <Yeah>. is it? <laughs> um, so, um, so I've kind of had a, an, an interesting um, uh, run of Thanksgivings over the last 12, 13 years. Um, and it started off with, you know, my wife and I, we, you know, our parents all live back in Indiana. We live in, you know, the, the East Coast around the D.C. area. And when it was just the two of us, and it was like, oh, it's, it's it's really a lot of effort to go back, you know, to the Midwest for Thanksgiving. So we decided, you know, we're just going to stay, you know, around here. And it seems silly to make an entire turkey for just two people. Mm -hmm. So instead, we decided that we were going to just make lobsters every year. Wow. So instead of turkey, we just uh, boiled up some lobsters and lobster was our replacement for turkey on Thanksgiving. And we did that for many years, and it was glorious. I'll tell you that because lobster is delicious. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Um, so about I guess it's been five years ago. We um got invited. Now, now this is after having several children. Um, we got invited over to um a, a friend of ours' house, a, a friend that my wife met in grad school, so we've known each other for a very long time, and we came over to their house um one year. And, and now we weren't going to make lobsters for everybody, you know, because mm -hmm. there was, there was, you know, it was her family and then, you know, her parents and his parents and some siblings and stuff. So there was, you know, like 12 people there, right? Mm -hmm. 12 or 15 people. It was, it was, it was a, it was a big number and we couldn't make, you know, 15 lobsters is, is a little cost prohibitive. Come for people, on, Larry. What I, I know <laughs> I, I'm the, the cheapskate in me is coming out. <laughs> um, but what I did decided to do is like, well, I can make a pretty mean lobster bisque. So now in for everybody in the audience, uh, to, to, to a little background, um, 
UX is my second career. Mm -hmm. I was actually a chef for a very long time before I got into the UX field. And so I worked in kitchens and catering kitchens and, and restaurant kitchens for a very, very long time. And like, you know, learned how to make a couple of things, mm -hmm. um, including lobster bisque. And so um, we brought over lobster bisque to um, our friend's house for that first Thanksgiving we had over there. And it was, it was a smash hit, you could say. I bet. Um, the next year that we came, um, <laughs> or the next year we, you know, we were talking, this was like, hey, you know, should, should we, you know, are we going to come over for Thanksgiving again? And she's like, and um, my wife's friend was like, um, yes, but only if you bring the lobster bisque. <laughs> Otherwise, you're uninvited. <laughs> Somehow, in my, my mind's eye, I have like this mental image of you and your family emerging from the woods carrying your lobster bisque, you know, dressed as, as Squanto and the, the native peoples who are here to, to rescue the pilgrims with your, with your bisque. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, lobster used to be prison food back in like the, you know, the 17, 1800s in New England. Well, that's a pretty nice prison. Well, yeah, because it was garbage food. It was like you know, everybody was like, "Oh, it's like eating, you know, bugs out of the out, out of the ocean." Right. Ocean bugs, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's funny how that's turned from you know garbage prison food to a you know a, a delectable uh, luxury food. Anyway, so so yeah, so I've been um and we've been making life service there ever since and um. So what's the, so we got to tie this into some sort of UX thing, right? Cause you know, I mean, we don't have podcast. to, but we I just... bet we can. <laughs> so let's, let's try here. Let's, let's think about it. Um, so we can liken this to perhaps the Kano model. The Kano model. So the Kano model is a, um, it is a insightful way of understanding and categorizing the five types of customer requirements for a product or service. Um, and there's, so there's five different, five different categories of features you can create, right? So, and, um, there are categories that, um, are things that customers just expect must haves. There are, um, features that, um, can, you know, incrementally improve the product. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, um, features that, um, exceed expectations of customers and, and, and create um, excitement or delight. Um, there's also features that you add that change nothing about a customer's um, experience of the product. And then there's features that the fifth one is negative experiences um, created by a, a particular um, feature. So the last two there, we don't really care about because we don't want features that actually have negative um, impacts on customers. And the ones that don't have any impact whatsoever on a customer or a waste of money. You might as well just be burning a pile of cash at that point because you didn't really do anything for customers. So they typically map this out on a two by two grid. Um, the, the X axis is, you know, actually executing on the, the feature. And then the Y axis is uh, satisfaction of, you know, how much satisfaction the customer is getting. And so basic expectations are the ones at the bottom and it's a curve that kind of goes up to that, um, you know, that middle of the road of the satisfaction. And it's the things that, you know, you have to have in the product. And then, you know, the, 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 um, the incremental improvements are basically a 45 degree angle line through the, the two by two grid. And then the excitement ones are um, basically the hockey stick. Um, once you get past the, you know, the, a certain point in the execution mark, you, you have a hockey stick of, 
customer delight. Um, and so I like to think of my lobster bisque as that, you know, that, that customer delight <laughs> when we first brought it to the, to the, to the, to Thanksgiving, because it like, you know, had a hockey stick effect on the delight of the customers because we, um, basically created, you know, met an unmet or unarticulated un unmet need because they didn't realize that they needed that lobster bisque, but they really did. And then the next year it became a basic need and a must have because we weren't going to Thanksgiving the second year without that lobster bisque. Right. And so that is the um, Thanksgiving story of how the Kano model works. Yeah, I, you know, because I was thinking, probably overthinking on the analogy, like, okay, so the bisque started off as something that was a delighter, and then the next year, it's a must-have. But the the reason it's a must-have is because it delighted everybody, right? Everybody's like, oh, I love that. That was so good. I, I got to have it every year now. Um, but, you know, as as far as the actual specifics of the Kano model go, I, I could see where it's more of a, a sliding thing, you know, like... Um, you know, the, when this feature was introduced, this was huge and blew people's minds and then they kind of got used to it. And maybe at some point, you know, it's a feature that even has slid so far down that importance model that it, it, it's no longer even necessary. You might, you might even want to just get rid of it. I'm thinking specifically like, you know, the, uh, the home button on the iPhone, right? Like, one of the distinctive features about an iPhone compared to an Android phone was that it had one button and only one button. And then that button became smarter and had your touch ID and all that stuff. And then as, as that became less impressive and as uh, like you were saying, you know, the competitors start to copy that model, re removing buttons, having simpler, cleaner designs. Pretty soon it's like, hey, we're going to get rid of the button altogether. There's probably people who are still pissed about it, though. <laughs> There's always going to be people that are pissed about anything you do. You can't listen to those people. Um, yeah. But I think I like to look at the Kano model through the lens of, I mean, everything was at one point a delighter. Every mm -hmm. single feature that you've ever thought of was a delighter and created lots of excitement at some point. Um, you know, an image in a web browser was at one point, it's like, oh my gosh, we can not only can we have text, but now there's images. This is mm -hmm. incredible. I mean, the 2800 baud modem was a delighter at one point. Um, so if you, you know, if you go far back far enough on anything, everything was a delighter at one point. And so that's why the model makes so much sense is like, if you look at it in the, the macro level and at the over long periods of time, um, you know, all the basic needs, all the basic expectations that people have today were at one time delighters. Yeah. Well, you know, the big thing I'm taking from this discussion is that uh, what you've measured, at, what you've measured relative to delight and just, you know, table stakes and even a negative experience this year, you need to measure again, you know, periodically, let's say next year to see where that feature is because well, like you say, you know, the 2,800 baud modem was like really exciting at some point, you know, but eventually it, it's, it's less and less exciting to the point that it, it even becomes this vestigial appendage that you wish wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, obviously it's a, it's a cycle over time for sure. And um, you know, eventually, <laughs> so I, that begs the question, does eventually um, 
basic needs actually turn into um, features that create negative satisfaction over time because they they deteriorate and 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 get taken over by other features that are much more important and now these older features like the 2800 baud modem are now painful compared to the you know the the T1 line yeah i mean i'm struggling to think of a specific example but i, I know when i switched from from windows over to the mac uh, operating system i think it was around you know 2000 2003 um that it, it felt like mac had um less cruft that had accumulated over the years i don't know if it was but you know i heard people talk about the mac as you know it's a toy and it's not a serious computer and all that and then at some point i wonder if it was that lack of all these you know built-in features that actually made it more satisfying because I didn't have crazy enterprisey built-in stuff all over the place that I was tripping all over like I did with Windows. It's it's possible. When did you you said you made the transition in 2003? So I'm I'm assuming that was still a a um um uh a Mac OS or what they called it uh um what do they call it at the time? Oh my gosh, it's been it's like Mac OS now, but it used to be called uh, OS ten, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I transitioned to OS ten um, right after they um, got rid of OS nine. Right. So, so technically, that has less that would have less cruft than you know any of the the OS nine or before because it was a completely new operating system that they took mm-hmm. that they ported over from Next, basically. Um, oh, that's right. So it actually did have less time. Um, it wasn't the same operating system that they'd been building on since you know. Uh, the the first Mac in 1994. Um, right. So, um, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, having less is, you know, can be refreshing and that can be a, a, a delighter for sure. Um, especially if, you know, well, I'm going to go into the Windows versus Mac debate thing because, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it, it's weird because it's like, you know, you, you make transitions into to different operating systems and then you try to go back to other operating systems that people really love and mm-hmm. you're just like, ooh, why, I, why, why do I hate this much, so much? And, and, and I think it's probably, it's, it's, it's more familiarity than anything. And mm-hmm. so if you have a great familiarity with a particular platform or a particular application, or, you know, um, you know, operating system, you know, that switching cost is really high. Mm-hmm. And for you to be able to, you know, make for that to be a tolerable situation for you, the other platform has to have a lot more value um, to compensate for those switching costs. You know, right. whether whether Windows is, you know, was, you know, better or not, um, you know, changing all your mental models on how everything works to go to Mac OS. There, there's a lot of switching costs there, but right. because it, there were so many benefits to it and there were so many things that made it a, a better experience, it made it worth it. And so when I think about, you know, us as a, you know, enterprise products, like, you know, we have that same problem with, you know, uh, you know, our customers, it's like, we have to be so much better, even it, even if we're just you know just slightly better than the competition, that's not enough to to switch because there's so much cost in in switching from an one enterprise product to another. We have to be significantly better to 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 really compete in the market. And so, so it's it's really something to think about when you're trying to you know 
trying to you know figure out what types of features that you're going to include in you know in releases and, and what um, approach you're going to take to 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 go to market. Yeah, it's funny for just you know my personal computing. All it took was the delight of the iPod and even the delight at the time of of iTunes relative to like Winamp. I mean, Winamp had a lot of cool stuff. Wow, but... that's going back. <laughs> Winamp. Yeah. It really whips the llama's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Who decided to do that every... <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. You know what would be really badass? Every time you load this app, it's going to just yell at you. <laughs> Winamp! <laughs> you, you made a great point about the progression of how features and technology just gets better and better and better all the time, which makes it hard in, in, in the product design and development game, right? To, to stay ahead of the competition, to really innovate and, and you know, stay ahead of the, the curve. But, um, you know, one thing that has occurred to me is that everything is always getting better at such an amazing pace that it's given me a lot to be thankful for here on this uh, Thank You X Giving. So, uh, Larry, with that, I would like to invite you to say, is there anything that you were particularly thankful for this Thank You X Giving? So the things that I'm most thankful for, other than, you know, the obvious things that, you know, my family, my health, um, you know, all, all those things, I think if we're going to stick this to the, the Thank You X um, category mm-hmm, of things, mm-hmm. the biggest thing I'm thankful for is um th- my UX team honestly at work because <laughs> they are the ones that 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 make me look good um nothing happens without them they're the ones who are actually creating value for our company and, and our customers and everything um and honestly they're the only reason I have any credibility in the organization whatsoever um and uh so i mean they're honestly the best UX team I've ever worked on and i'm very happy um, to be working with them. And that is the thing that, you know, on the UX list that I'm actually most thankful for. That's fantastic. And I, I have to agree. Good people just makes all the difference in the world. Um, speaking of people, other things that I'm thankful for, um, I'm thankful for people like Jared Spool and Alan Cooper, who like to fight and be disagreeable to each other and on, on, and, and really <laughs> are not afraid to fly their flags out in the public on Twitter um, and I think they're both fantastic. I think both of those people and, um, many other thought leaders in the, the UX community have shaped a lot of my thinking on design and products. And I'm thankful that there are platforms out there that allow them to, you know, to, to all those types of people to talk and share their ideas. Um, because, um, frankly, I'm completely, you know, un- uncreative whatsoever, and I just copy everything everybody says anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, <laughs> no, not not true. I mean, but 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 listening to them and listening to different points of view and having them question your thoughts about you know what you think is real and what you think is 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 true in the world, um, is really really helpful, um, for me as a as a UX practitioner to really you know, I'm um, not that I need any help second guessing things because you know I'm one of those uh you know uh, the uh, ugh, the word's not coming to me. The, um, thinker. I'm a, I'm a thinker. I'm an overthinker. I'm, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, 
Oh, impo- the imposter syndrome that comes in. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. yes. So, oh. um, but at the same time, you know, I, I that has really been a, a very valuable thing for me to be able to, you know, com- always continually question what I'm doing, question what we're doing, and and try to continually learn and continually improve what we're doing all all the time. So I think you know having that form of people out there and thought leaders out there is really really helpful. Well, I have to agree. I'm you know. Uh incredibly grateful for the UX community. So that's actually uh, one of the things I had on my list is uh, uh, I'm grateful the UX remains a really generous profession with people who are willing to to make each other better, to help make each other better. And I love, like you said, uh, I love Alan Cooper and I love Jared Spool. It kind of breaks my heart when they have Twitter beef because you remember how this went for Biggie and Tupac? Just don't want to see it go there, guys. Let's, you know... <laughs> They Let's are the, the Biggie and Tupac of UX. They're <laughs> East Coast, West Coast. Exactly. So we we got to we got to prevent a tragedy before you know shit starts popping off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like we have whenever whenever there's a, a UX conference, we got to make sure that like both guys don't end up being there at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's fantastic. But no, in all seriousness, I, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, the, the UX community is, is very generous. Um, you know, when I, when I started doing this stuff in 1998, um, I was just, you know, a kid who knew some HTML. And it was through the generosity of more sophisticated coworkers, people writing about their experiences and their mindsets and how the, they were making their product better um, and, and just putting that out there for free for everybody. That's a big motivation for me as far as why, uh, you know, I want to do this show. I want it to be a place where, uh, you know, we bring ideas that, that help everybody be better. Being better is good. <laughs> You're on fire today. I know, man. I was trying to, to I, I was actually trying to channel the, uh, the first lady on that one, but, uh, didn't be best. <laughs> What, uh, any, anything else on your list? Um, I mean, related to all that stuff, it's like, you know, having all the really great tools and processes and methodologies that, you know, in this rich community that we have has been, it's, it's, it's really good. It's, um, I'm, I'm thankful and annoyed by it because there's so many things to try and how do you choose? And, um, but it's, it's funny. Cause like I look around at other things, you know, other disciplines and it's like, do they have this much richness of like different things and thoughts and stuff. It's like, I feel like most people like in my experience is like most people learn something one way and then they stick to that and implement it the rest of their careers. I see that a lot and Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. see that as much in, at least in the UX circles that I am um, privy to. And I think that's really, really cool. People are, are continually trying to innovate, continue trying to move the needle on what we do in this, in, in the UX industry. And, um, and, and maybe that's just a product of, of, of the people I've surrounded myself with, but I, 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 that's the, the type of people I want to surround myself with because I want to see the, um, the discipline advance and become better and, and become more defined and become more respected in, 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 in the, the product world. And, um, and so I, I, I really value that, uh, that the, the willingness to share the willingness to experiment, the willingness to, to share experiments and the willing and the drive to really push the, the, the discipline forward. Yeah. I feel like the people who were making the web were also shaped by the web. There's that sense of 
anybody can do anything and share their knowledge, their, their passion, their insight. And so the medium that we were working on, I think in turn has shaped the DNA of the profession. And that's what I love about it. And that's one of the things that I hope always persists is this is the, uh, like you said, the richness of what's available to learn from. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of other uh, professions and industries where people do not share their knowledge with others, that everything's considered a competition and, you know, it, it, it's thought of as a zero-sum game that if I tell you everything I know, well, then you'd be better than me and I'll be out of the job. But we just, we don't really seem to, at least I don't seem to see a lot of that in the UX field. And I love that. Oh, no, I totally agree. I think a lot in a lot of, I mean, I've seen a lot of um, people in various positions in, you know, the product world and the consulting world. Um, They feel like their value is the knowledge and experience they have. And therefore, if they share it, then they are become less valuable. And so they hold on to that knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. Even and, and not just even in skill sets and, and experience, but just like even, you know, um, institutional knowledge where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have mm-hmm. to come to me for that institutional knowledge because <laughs> I mean, otherwise I'm not valuable. And I see that a lot. And I think that's um, I don't I don't see that a lot in, in the UX at all. Right. Because like mm-hmm. everybody's always sharing what they're doing. And that's like that's part of the thing. It's like a part of the DNA of what we do, you know, that is, is sharing. And, you know, it's even turns into careers for people, you know, people, you know, like the thought leaders that we see out there, like the, you know, the Alan Coopers and Jared Spools and the, um, you know, Jet Goff, Jeff Gotthelves and all those people that are out there just like, you know, they've, they've made a career out of doing this at, out mm-hmm. of, out of sharing um, better ways to make products. And that, I think that's really, really awesome. Well, the other thing I am particularly grateful uh, this particular thank you X giving. I'm going to squeeze that in one more time. <laughs> the other thing I'm grateful for this thank you X giving is the maturation of design tools. So while we're certainly not there yet, um, the palette of available design tools for interaction design, for uh, web design, for software design, has really grown by leaps and bounds. Um, I love that it has become a competitive industry again, where everybody's really pushing each other forward to try to really kind of solve that uh, that design problem. And so, even though you know there's still plenty of <laughs> plenty of room to go uh, as of right now, the the maturity of the design uh, tools available to us is so much better than it used to be, and and I'm I'm thrilled about that. No, I think we should all go back to using Visio. That's that remains like the one software you, you've you've got to have a PC for, right? Like, you, oh, sorry, you can't use a Mac because we all use Visio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <laughs> uh, Visio. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I I I see the the plethora of tools that we've had um to at our disposal for many different things. You know, whether it's you know communicating design to developers or just um playing around with ideas amongst ourselves or, you know, sharing ideas with other, you know, other, um, other, other disciplines. Um, and, you know, just, and, and, you know, obviously the prototyping tools that have, that have like started to mature. 
Um, I'm and I'm really looking for, and I, and I see like the horizon of what's coming as well. Mm-hmm. That I wish was here today because I think <laughs> much better, um, especially when it comes to you know like tools that like help you you know like you can take your design system code base and actually prototype with them. I think that's like the next generation of 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 design tools and and facilitation of you know creating you know being very quick to iterate on you know the at least the front end of products um and 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 doing that in a way that you can just like hey here we go let's now just let's just make this production because we've got you know we we've, we've got it all set up i think you know seeing that horizon coming it's not quite here yet i know there's a bunch of people promising that mm-hmm. um but i it, it's you know that will come soon and that will be glorious in my mind yeah whoever whoever solves that there's a lot of money to be made it's like even even some of these sexy uh, vaporware demos that we get. It's like, shut up and take my money. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and then you get into it and it's like, Oh, it's not quite ready for prime right. time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. There's that, but it, it, they'll get there. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. And I will be, uh, hopefully next thanks UX giving, we can um, uh, reminisce about this very conversation. And we'll be talking about those tools that actually do those things that we're looking to to do well that sounds like a commitment and uh i'm looking forward to continuing to to run ux like us uh all the way through next thanks thank ux giving <laughs> um in the meantime uh i would like to invite our listeners uh I, I won't hound people for uh reviews on itunes and all that stuff at this point in our in our life cycle, you know, being two episodes in, but I would like people to let us know, you know, what they think and whether this was valuable and what we could do to uh, make it even more valuable. Uh, I know you're a user of the Twitters. Yes. I tweet. And what is your Twitter? Oh, I am um, at LA King. Um, Fortunately, it is only one letter away from the LA Kings hockey team. And that never becomes a problem. <laughs> and they're super into UX now. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Well, uh, you're at LA King and I'm at Stuperman. Stuperman? What? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say there, there was a lot of Johnny Walker flowing back when Twitter was invented. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right, Larry. <laughs> and with that jaunty jingle, uh, I think we put a pin in another episode of UX Like Us. See you next time.